It's Tuesday, April 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We got a lot going on. We've got some on the ground reporting about Burger King's impossible Whopper that they're testing in St. Louis. We've got consumer products earnings. We've got toy earnings. We're going to start with social media. Twitter's first quarter revenue was up 20% compared to a year ago. The stock is having a monster day. Shares of Twitter are up 16%. Was it that good? Uh, it was a good report. It's a, it, interesting uh, the way they started out their uh, announcement, which was to talk about how effective they are at uh, getting the wrong people or the wrong bots uh, off of their service. I mean, you don't normally see the initial quote from the CEO being about we're reducing the bad part of you know the business, but that is a big part of the questions that would be hanging out about them. So before even really getting into the numbers, the the narrative uh, was the first thing that management focused on and you know the market seems to be liking that. I think that that's part of it. It's an interesting point because you're right. This is one of those businesses that uh, for the longest time that it's been a public company, we we have focused on growth. We've focused on what are their monthly active users, etc, that sort of thing. But as you said, the narrative around and it's not just Twitter, but I would argue social media in general, certainly Facebook being the, uh, the classic case. Uh, yeah, part of the narrative for them is okay, look, they've got some bad actors on there. If they can clean up this platform um, and sort of get rid of the bad actors, then yeah, it's, it's going to be a more valuable business and therefore one worth owning. Yeah, and I think that it has for a long time been a business that people have expected they've got many of the attributes that you would want and they haven't been monetizing them as well as the competition but they have something in their arsenal which is extremely effective which is a product which is addictive and if you only were to invest in addictive products over the course of your lifetime you would do very well yeah that's true i mean whether it's tobacco for whatever you think about tobacco, and probably you should think the very worst things about it. I apologize to all the smokers out there. Uh, but it's an addictive product, and no matter how much we as a society try to educate ourselves about the downside of, of that product, it remains extremely, extremely uh, good investment. And you know, we've got some uh, addictive products in front of us right now. Well, yes. Uh, better. But much better than tobacco. Right. It's coffee and it's both addictive and incredibly healthy and incredibly good for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike arguably social media. But that's one of the reasons why it is so great. It's not just that coffee is great for you, uh, but that your body craves, unlike many other things which are great for you. I've heard vegetables, this claimed about vegetables, but they are not addictive. Not really. That somebody needs to work on that. Getting getting a little bit of addictive, uh, you know, substance into vegetables. All kidding aside, the idea of do you think I'm kidding? No, I don't think you're kidding, but I think I think being a little frivolous, <laughs> this which is, is fine because this that, is a new business. Happens. Somebody's going to work on this. Well, I was just going to say it would be interesting to come up with a list of like like forget stock performance. Let's just come up with a list of things that are addictive, and then 
you know, back check against the stock performance. And it's like, oh yeah, that's that's actually you know, social yeah. media can be addictive. Tobacco is addictive. So is coffee. Right, and social media, Facebook and Twitter, and and some other things that work on magnifying the addictive properties of of their product. And this is beginning to attract attention and backlash. And Twitter, understandably, is starting its its quarter by by saying like we're working on the bad side. They're not addressing the the addiction problem. Uh, but they, which I guess they probably don't see as a problem, but you know the the downside of the users of the platform harming other users. Uh, at at the same time, I don't think that they're pulling back on, the, you know, the notifications and the, the things that addict one to social media. No, I don't think they are. But I also think in the case of Twitter, it's it makes inherently good business sense to get rid of. You know, as you said, uh, the the opening statement from Jack Dorsey. You know, to get rid of the bad actors because they're in the business of advertising, and the more comfort that advertisers feel spending money on your platform, then the more likely they are to come back and spend more money in the future. So it's it's a very smart move by them. Yeah, and and to go to the actual numbers, which we haven't gotten to yet, it basically uh, business was up about eleven percent year over year, uh, and showed that that's at the top line, that's at the users, uh, and then really they did much better than that uh, when you get down to the bottom line in terms of the actual profits, uh, which were ahead uh, well beyond that. Let's move on to Hasbro. First quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected for Hasbro, and you know I mentioned at the top toy earnings. You know, forget about the toys. the The story here with Hasbro is Bumblebee, which is the Transformers spinoff movie that came out at the end of 2018. Bumblebee is is getting the credit here for doing close to half a billion dollars in box office receipts around the world. And I did a double take when I saw that because that movie. Not only did I not see it, I had no interest in seeing it. Perhaps it's not geared towards me, but it also seemed like it came and went from the theaters pretty quickly. But then I was reminded of the fact that, for whatever you may think of Transformer movies here in the U.S., they keep making these movies because overseas they do big box office numbers. And I mentioned the you know. Close to half a billion dollars. It was four hundred seventy million dollars for this movie, and over seventy percent of that came from outside the U.S. Yeah, there are a lot of different parts to this report. I think that the Transformers is is one of the things they mentioned. Uh, really, they're they're sort of lapping uh, a number of the problems with Toys R Us having closed down, and and some of the write-offs and liquidation that that accompanied that. Uh, and I think the the most uh, you know the the part of this that I think bullish investors are going to focus on and uh, find the most interesting is the increasing amount that they are doing with e-games and and other mobile. Uh, I think that that is the growth area that was up 24 percent. The rest of the business, you know, you had to make some adjustments on international for. Uh, currency, uh, but it was closer to flat than you know than you'd really imagine, given the the movement of the stock price. But the e-game stuff uh, was up 24 percent, and and it's far more profitable than the rest of the business. It does seem like Hasbro's move over time, particularly over the last few years, towards intellectual property um, has really started to pay off for shareholders. 
Yeah, I, I think that they've they've got so many things going on here. Of course, as you look ahead, given the the you know we've got Avengers coming up any minute now, and uh, Frozen later in the year, and Star Wars, and and they've got all that. They've got all that here, abroad, everywhere, uh, and it just looks now like having completed this not fully completed the cycle of the the post Toys R Us issues. Uh, but I think that you know people can see the light at the end of the tunnel today. I'm thinking about the Toys R Us, and it's you know it reminding me of a couple of years ago when uh, Sports Authority went out of business, and while that took place over the time frame of just a few months, um, the ripple effect of that was continued to be felt for several quarters for shareholders of Nike. Under I mean, it just continued to come up in those conference calls, and uh, it seems like we're we're hopefully now at the end of that happening with with Hasbro and then uh, eventually Mattel, I suppose. Here's something that I found interesting in the in the discussion for management uh, in the conference call, and I'll, I'll quote this. Said uh, as consumers began Easter shopping and new initiatives came on the shelf, including Nerf Fortnite and Hasbro's line for Marvel's Avengers Endgame point of sale improved posting, uh, positive Easter to Easter comparisons in the U.S. And my question is, what are people doing nowadays for Easter? The, uh, apparently, it involves uh, Avengers and and Nerf. Nerf Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the world has changed since you and I were, were children celebrating Easter. And I mean, is this uh, yeah. a big toy holiday now? I mean, they're, they're back in my day. Every this, holiday is a toy holiday. Are you kidding? Every holiday is a greeting card holiday. Every holiday. Fourth of July is that a big toy holiday? Uh, you know, if you consider fireworks to be toys, sure. <laughs> As those in Wisconsin do. Yeah. We're going around about a, a tweet uh, about Wisconsin. Earlier today, and then Wisconsin's love of fireworks to get back to Twitter. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, there was a great love. Uh, I guess an above-average love of fireworks in the, the the cheese state, but apparently there is. Okay, according to John Mo, one of our one of our favorites. We love John Mo. Um, let's keep going with the earnings, and this is in some. I mean, on a day when Hasbro is up double digits and Twitter is up double digits, the most surprising thing to me is Procter and Gamble. Procter & Gamble's third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. This is the third quarter in a row they've put up some, I would argue, some pretty impressive growth. Um, the stock is actually down a couple percentage points, but it's had this staggering run over the past year. And when we say staggering, uh, what I mean by that is 40%. For a company of Procter and Gamble's size and history, forty percent growth in a single year is astonishing to me. It is astonishing, and it, you're not going to find the explanation of that in something like the quarterly numbers today, which, while while good, better than expectations, uh, volume was up three percent for the quarter across all products. They were hurt by foreign exchange a little bit. Net sales up one percent. Organic volume up two percent. These are, you know, low single-digit numbers in terms of your growth, and yet the stock is up forty-six percent year over year, and that's really a lot of multiple expansion. I think that they have sort of completed this reduction of the number of brands they have, down to the core sixty-five that they have today. 
having eliminated uh, many more than that. And so it seems like the execution of that reduction has worked out well. Uh, but if you're looking for reasons why the stock is not doing the same thing as, as the other two companies that we've mentioned today, it's it more closer to a, to a stagnant kind of uh, sales environment. So, two things. One, we started doing this podcast in early 2011. And at that time, Procter & Gamble had somewhere in the neighborhood of 115 to 120 brands under its umbrella. So, the methodical reduction in the number of brands in their portfolio has worked out well for them. Uh, two, this is a company, and this is one of the most surprising things to me about Procter & Gamble, this is a company that appears to be exercising some pricing power in terms of uh, their detergent brands, their laundry brands, that sort of thing. Um, and, oh, by the way, they increased their dividend for this. It is now the 63rd year in a row that Procter & Gamble has increased their dividend. So, you know, to the extent that you're looking for uh, you know, a dividend king, and not just a dividend aristocrat. Uh, you might want to take a look at Procter and Gamble. Yeah, everything everything went pretty well uh, out of their uh, five different uh, sales divisions, uh, other than grooming. I think that's uh, a function of you know the the uh, Gillette brand. I was going to say they have Gillette, and that's you, that's know. you know nobody nobody uses Gillette anymore apparently. Well, it's not that nobody uses Gillette anymore. It's that the, it's all Harry's, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. Uh, all kidding aside, you know, <laughs> yes, Harry's is one of our sponsors, and we love Harry's, and I'm a, 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 a happy customer of Harry's and have been for years. But the fact of the matter is that Gillette basically operated a monopoly for, you know, I guess it was Gillette and Gillette and Schick. You know, there were basically two razor brands, and they kind of had the universe to themselves. And then upstarts like Harry's come along, and it's like, and you know, Dollar Shave Club too, and it's like, oh. Oh, I guess, yeah. I guess this cash cow that we've been riding for so many years, yeah, we're not we're not going to be able to do this in quite the same way. Yeah. Well, part of that was that once you've got a business strategy, which the attractiveness of which is literally encapsulated by a phrase that you then try to apply everywhere else, which is like the razor and blade strategy, right? right? <laughs> that was repeated enough times over enough decades that others looked at it and say. Huh? What if I literally applied the razor and blade strategy? Since that's making so much money off of these two brands, maybe I could make some money myself doing that, and uh, that has turned out to be the case. There was a point in time when Hewlett Packard was making a nice buck off of their razor and blade strategy, which was printers. Uh, we're going to sell printers basically at cost, and then we're just going to jack up the cost of the printer ink and. Again, for a good stretch of time, that worked out well for Hewlett Packard. Um, so, a couple of weeks back, we talked on this show and on Motley Fool Money about a test that Burger King has been doing in St. Louis at around 60 locations in the greater St. Louis area. And they've been testing uh, something they call the Impossible Whopper, which is a meatless uh, Whopper. And uh, at the time, I because I we're nowhere near St. Louis. We're not going to road trip to St. Louis from here because we don't have that kind of time. But I sort of put out there, hey, if anyone is in St. Louis, 
and you know wants to do a little boots on the ground research for us, let us know how that goes. And proving once again that we have the best listeners. I know there are other business news shows out there, but we've got the best listeners. Yeah, I mean, we did a study on that, right? That there are other business news podcasts. Yeah, yeah, there are. <laughs> Bloomberg's got some. Wall Street Journal's got some. Yeah, there are others out there. But the study included an analysis of everybody else's listeners. Right. And Which, while not terrible people, no, not terrible. Nobody's saying that Bloomberg's listeners are actively bad people, villains. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. And the and by the way, the data in the survey did not prove that. So that's right. why nobody's saying that. Right. You can't. You while while the data did not exclude the possibility that they're villains, neither did it prove it. True. And we wouldn't go so far as to say that about no. Bloomberg. Not only Bloomberg, but all the other competitors. However, what the data on your visitor, your our listeners, listeners. we've got the best listeners. Um, from Neil in Rockville, who writes, the first thing I did when I landed in St. Louis was to head to Burger King to get an Impossible Whopper, a pretty viable alternative to a thin beef patty, which I hadn't even considered the dimensions of the burger, but that was backed up in an email we got from Allison Griffith. Who writes? I haven't eaten at Burger King in 20 years, but when I heard your call for someone in St. Louis to test the Impossible Whopper at Burger King, I volunteered as tribute. Delicious, so much better than any fast food burger I've had. My friend bought a regular Control Whopper, and it was a sad one third the size of mine. Here's a pro tip: add cheese, but skip the tomato and lettuce. Uh, and she adds at the end, "Thank you." For making my workouts more fun, I always learn something, and you make me laugh sometimes. It's the sometimes that makes that magic. <laughs> uh, but thank you to Neil and to Allison, um, among others, who who tested this for us. This, I think, Burger King is being really smart about this. Where they are testing it, the size of the test. I mean, we've seen other restaurants testing different things at just a couple of locations, but the fact that they're going. To 60 locations in the smack dab in the middle of America, um, I would not. I mean, if this works there, they have to feel like this is something they can roll out across the country. Yeah, uh, I can't remember what the uh, most common uh, part of America or, or city is for tests of this type. I believe I mean, where they are trying to get the best demographic slice in order to maximize. You know the return on the the investment, the R and D. It might be St. Louis, but at at any rate, St. Louis seems to be a very good choice. And um, according to your listeners, who are, as we know, amazing, it's going to be successful. I mean, according to these listeners, the the sample size we have. I mean, we haven't gotten any email yet saying, "Yeah, I tried it. It's it's not good." But I don't know. This is. Uh this is encouraging, and it, I think if you're someone who's looking at these types of restaurants, you have to be watching how this test turns out for Burger King, and you have to wonder what is McDonald's doing on this front. Question to you: If you were in St. Louis for work, uh-huh. let's say two and a half days, okay, would you spend any of your time and and pallet on this, or would you? Because that would be subtracting from what I take it would be your barbecue uh, time. Because you're in St. Louis, you're going to go big on that. I think I would absolutely do that. I go big on the barbecue if I was in St. Louis. But I think, given proximity, I mean, if if I was wherever my work was or wherever my hotel was, if there was a Burger King close by, I think I would go in and try one of these. Maybe not eat the whole thing, but at least sample it. 
Um, because I don't, you know, I, I got to leave room for the barbecue. Exactly. Um, but no, I think I would try this. And and let me put it this way: if they if they roll this out nationwide, I mean, there are a couple of Burger Kings around here. I could easily hit to to try this out for myself. So I may do that. Um, real quick before we wrap up, I want to say thank you to uh, Bill Velasquez, another amazing listener, who uh, when I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks back that I was going to New Mexico for spring break, uh, Bill. Uh, lives in Albuquerque, sent me a list of recommendations of things to do in Santa Fe, uh, including restaurants. So, thank you uh, for that, Bill. Um, great restaurants, great. New Mexico is underrated. Oh, my God. New Mexico is great. Phenomenal. Need to get, uh, need to get out to New Mexico more. Um, but, because Bill was so nice and helpful with j- just volunteering, hey, you're coming to New Mexico, here are some things to do. Um, in a few weeks, you're going to Singapore. Yes, I am. So, if anyone is in Singapore, has just been to Singapore, has some recommendations, because you've got, you've actually got some time. Because sometimes you go on business trips and your turnaround time is really tight. You're spending all your time in the hotel, wherever the conference is, that sort of thing. Based on our conversation this morning, I got the sense that you've actually got a little bit of extra time in Singapore to maybe check out a restaurant or two or do a little touristing. Uh, yeah, maybe gonna have a day uh, on one side or the other uh, of the conference, um, which is nice. Uh, probably a day on the on the front side while I'm recovering from the travel. And uh, yeah, if anybody got any recommendations on recovery from that trip? That's, that's <laughs> probably probably the so I guess from from. <laughs> From the thousands, dozens, sorry, dozens of amazing listeners. So, I guess we're looking for two things then. Uh, recommendations for th- restaurants and or things to do in Singapore. And for people who just are dealing with jet lag, just massive jet lag, if you have any tips there, we'll take those at marketfoolery at fool.com. Yeah, because I don't, I don't travel uh, on an Asia trip often enough to have any prediction of how my reaction to the jet lag will be because it, it I've done it and it's sort of different every time and whereas those that do it trips like that five times a year or something like that they get a, they get their systems down they have their strategy they know like oh I need to do X because when I don't do it you know problems happen but uh, yeah we'll be checking in on the the full Singapore office possibly. Our man David Quo down we, there in Singapore. We got any podcasts going on there? Uh, we do, and actually, it's uh, just an update because a couple of people have asked about this. So David Quo, our man in Singapore, has started a new weekly podcast called Investing in Asia. Um, it is up now on Stitcher. It is not yet up on Apple Podcasts. So we're we're talking to the folks at Apple to see if we can get that. Straightened out. So hopefully by the end of this week, uh, everything will be up and running smoothly. But. Um, yeah, we had uh, David on Motley Fool Money a couple of weeks ago. I always enjoy talking to that guy. One of the most interesting, I mean, we've talked before about the most interesting man in the world. David Quo was in the running, on the short list of certainly the most interesting people. Just if you look at his career, it's like, yeah. oh, gets a, an, an advanced degree in chemistry and then goes to work as a bookmaker in England. Um, uh, and a great investor and just a, a, a wonderful guy. So I'm sure he'll have some restaurant recommendations for you in Singapore. But if any of the listeners do as well, drop us an email, marketfoolery at fool.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.